0: the people of Texas and all Americans in the world, fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion, otherwise the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 4,000 in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country victory or death, William Barrett Travis. Welcome to Revisionist History, the podcast where we set the historical record straight no matter who it offends. I'm Paul, and as you know, we've spent the last several episodes going over the various conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination and debunking them one by one. Well, from Dallas in 1963, today we're traveling 270 miles south and 127 years further into the past to San Antonio at the time of the Texas Revolution, specifically the 13 days known as the Battle of the Alamo. As a native Texan, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know about the Alamo, much like I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't hate the Washington Redskins, but that's a totally different subject. The Alamo is a unique part of our identity as Texans, much like the fact that we're the only state to ever be our own country, and that we have the right to secede from the union. Well, as I learned as I grew older, we weren't the only state to ever be our own country. We may have been one the longest, but we weren't the only one. And we don't have the right to secede, no matter what Rick Perry might have said a few years ago. We do, however, have the right, still, to break ourselves up into five separate states, something that was a condition of our entry into the union simply to try and keep the future balance of free and slave states equal. So if what I was taught about Texas having been the only state that had once been its own country and about secession, had I been taught incorrect things about the Alamo as well? That's a more complicated question. And it's what we're going to delve into today in this episode of Revisionist History. Because in the case of the Battle of the Alamo, the revision of history didn't start 100 years later when people became politically correct. It started before the smoke had even cleared from the battlefield. I know at the outset that this is going to be a touchy episode for my friends in the Lone Star State because they revere the defenders of the Alamo, as do I. And nothing I'm going to say today, whether it challenges your long-held beliefs or not, in any way diminishes the amazing, unbelievable, heroic sacrifice of the 200-some-odd defenders that stood against the Mexican army in late February and early March of 1836. They were heroes then, and they're heroes now. And that's why they deserve... To be remembered the right way. I'll be right back. And I just realized, lest I be guilty of revisionist history myself, that when I say Texas was a country the longest, what I should say is Texas was a republic for the longest period of time of the 50 states. Because obviously, Hawaii was a kingdom of for over a hundred years. Now we'll be right back. I suppose the best place to start is with what is still the most commonly held view of the events of the Alamo. What a lot of us learned as children, at least in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, was that 189 brave Anglo-Texan settlers, determined to throw off the oppressive yoke of the Mexican dictator Santa Ana and gain their independence, gathered in an old mission-turned-fort called the Alamo. They withstood 13 days of continuous attack by a force of more than 3,000 Mexican soldiers. On the final day, they were overwhelmed, and all of the defenders inside the Alamo died, but not before having killed 1,500 of Santa Ana's troops. William Barrett Travis died after a saber battle with a Mexican general. Jim Bowie killed at least a dozen Mexican soldiers from his sickbed, and Davy Crockett went down swinging his rifle even as he ran out of ammunition. They were remembered as heroes and martyrs by their comrades in Sam Houston's army. And that memory spurred the Texans on to the final victory at the Battle of San Jacinto seven weeks later. That last part is absolutely true. Their memory helped galvanize the Texan opposition in a way that Santa Ana could never have imagined. The rest of it, not so much. Let's look at it point by point starting with the most glaring misrepresentation, or if you will, outright lie. Contrary to what the history books said for over a century and a half, and what was portrayed in both the Disney film version in 1955 and John Wayne's version in 1960, the Alamo defenders were not all Anglo-Americans. They weren't even all Americans, with defenders coming from Ireland, England, Germany, and other European countries. They were not all Anglo by any stretch, given that among the Texan dead on March 6th were Gregorio Esparza, Juan Antonio Badillo, Andres Nava, Damasio Jimenez, and five other Tejanos, or Mexican Texans, alongside the Texians, or Anglo-Texan, defenders. There may be more who were never identified, and certainly would have been many more had Travis not sent several out of the fort as couriers to seek reinforcements. The most famous of these is Juan Seguin, a Tejano patriot who led his own cavalry company, fought at San Jacinto, and was one of the few defenders of the Alamo who was actually born in Texas. If you've never heard of Juan Seguin, that's a shame, and you should go look him up as soon as you get a chance. The Texans, both Anglo and Mexican, were indeed fighting Santa Ana and his brutal dictatorship, but for many it did not start as an independence movement, but as a revolt against the centralized government in Mexico City in hopes of a return to the earlier Federalist model that gave power to the individual Mexican states. The independence movement took hold after the Battle of Gonzales in late 1835, and was spurred by an influx of U.S. citizens heading to Texas to join the fight. In an irony that's not lost on those who realize it, many of the U.S. settlers were, in fact, illegal aliens, having never applied for permission to settle in what was, after all, a Mexican state. Contrary to most film versions, the Battle of the Alamo was not 13 days of constant fighting, but rather a siege in the classic European model. There were a few early skirmishes, but for the most part, Santa Ana spent two weeks pounding the walls of the fort with his artillery. Not as exciting as the movie version, but pretty typical of early 19th century warfare. As for numbers, one of the greatest areas of dispute over the decades, it's now pretty much agreed by historians that between 185 and 250 defenders were inside the Alamo and that Santa Ana's army on the scene was roughly 1,800 strong. This number seems small to those who've heard 3,000 their whole lives, but if you think about it, Santa Ana had left central Mexico with 6,000 troops, 500 of whom died during the winter forced march to San Antonio, and he split his forces into several groups, sending some after Fannin at Goliad and others after Houston's army. There's no way he had 3,000 men at the Alamo. There's also no way he killed 600 Texans, as his report to his Minister of War after the battle claimed, as only a third of that number were even at the fort. He wasn't the only one who inflated his numbers, however. The Mexican army absolutely did not suffer 1,500 killed in the battle. Most reliable sources put the number of Mexican killed and wounded at 400 to 600. This is still a sizable number, but not unexpected when attacking a fortified position in the 19th century manner. As for the deaths of the Alamo's three most famous defenders, the reality was quite different than the Disney John Wayne version. There was no saber battle for Travis. He was killed by a bullet to the forehead just after the assault began before the Mexican army had even breached the walls. Jim Bowie certainly did die on his cot, but given that he had been bedridden for almost the entire battle with advanced tuberculosis, he at best got off a few pistol shots before being killed. The story of him killing 20 Mexicans with his Bowie knife was suggested by his mother in Louisiana well after the battle. The greatest controversy surrounds the death of Davy Crockett because all of the eyewitness evidence points to the fact that he did not die swinging his rifle, but rather was captured with five others and summarily executed with them. There's no denying that the legends that grew up around these men's deaths are thrilling and they're what we expect from our idea of a hero. But sensationalism aside, is death by a sniper shot to the head or being shot and bayoneted on a sickbed, or being executed after capture, any less heroic given their actions leading up to their final moments? They stood their ground knowing the likely outcome and gave their lives for what they believed in. That's a hero, and Texas school children should be taught as much. I've mentioned films about the Alamo several times, all pretty much negatively. I love John Wayne, and his was an entertaining film, but it was not history. There is, however, one Alamo film I do recommend, and ironically, it was the biggest box office flop of all of them. I mean, it was a huge bomb. It had a $107 million budget and only generated $25 million in sales. I'm talking about the 2004 film, The Alamo. Starring Billy Bob Thornton as Crockett, Jason Patrick as Bowie, Patrick Wilson as Travis, and Jordi Moya as Juan Seguin. The film portrays the siege and the deaths of the defenders accurately, and though Jordi Moya is Spanish and not Mexican, it's still a damn sight better than the 1960 version, which replaced Seguin's character completely with a fictional Tennessee kid played by Frankie Avalon. As my friend Richard once said, like lily white Frankie Avalon would have ever made it through the Mexican lines and gotten to Sam Houston. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go when it comes to recognizing the Tejano's role in the birth of the Republic of Texas. To wrap up, let me just say again, that the defenders, all of them, were heroes. So were the Mexican soldiers who stormed the fort that day and gave their lives for their country in doing so. Yes, Santa Ana was a dictator, but remember that Texas was part of Mexico, and those troops were defending their country, just as the Texans believed they were fighting for theirs. There are always at least two sides to a story when it comes to war, and to be true to history, you need to listen to both of them. Have a great weekend, and remember the Alamo. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.